Welcome to Asked and Answered with Ron and Karis Pierce. I'm your host, Joy Kita, and as always, it's a pleasure to be here in the studio. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump right into it. Today's question for both of you is, why does Empower work through the National Church? Well, the National Church is a long story of development. And what it is is that many, many years ago, God started to plant these indigenous or um, national, as we call it, churches all around the world, the national believers, who are the Bible-believing, born-again believers in their own countries, started to raise them up. And then there was a big explosion of them in numbers back around the 1990, 89 to 1990, 91, 92 era. And then it's grown rapidly ever since that time. And before that, and now as well, um, Western missionaries were the primary way of operating around the world to take the gospel out to the various countries. But now that's shifted. And the shift has come over to national workers, and there are many reasons, and probably Karis and I will bounce back and forth on this. Mm -hmm. The first one, I would say, is because they live at a lower standard of living and are comfortable at that to live. So that means they are not necessarily needing um, higher wages and higher support levels that we do here in the West. So that is one of the primary reasons. For instance, an average wage in um, many countries is like $50 per month um, for partial support of a pastor and his family, national pastor, to get up and running. Mm -hmm. And um, in some countries, it might be $300. Like in China, that's an expensive one. And you can go right across the board in that sort of situation. $35 is very, very normal in Vietnam today. One, one of the other reasons is they know their culture. It's their culture, their people, their language. And so there's not that time period of having to uh, learn the language, learn the culture. These are their people, their family members, their uh, community that they're winning to the Lord. Exactly. And another one is the fact that they don't need a visa to get into their own country. Whereas many times, Westerners must go in with the permission of the government, etc., stay for a short period of time. And then if difficult times come, they're booted out. Whereas the nationals, unless they're very bad boys and bad girls, don't get booted out. <laughs> right. So they are there working there. Um, as Kara says, also, language is a great big mm -hmm. factor. And tied to that, as she says, is social etiquette and cultural etiquette. Mm which sometimes Westerners never really catch on to all that much. So, Do you have an example about a social etiquette situation? Well, what do you... Uh, one of the things I had to learn when I first went over to Vietnam was is that you do not accept a gift with one hand. You always use two hands. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think it was a big thing until it was explained to me mm -hmm. that in some parts that is very rude. Right. To accept it with one hand. No, it's that idea of both hands out and you bow your head to accept a gift. Small, but important. And there's a multitude of those sort of little rules, mm -hmm. which you can learn over the years. But to them, it comes naturally. Right. It's the things that they're taught growing up that oh, yes. just are normal. Exactly. And they do them very um, appropriately right. at the right time. And so that's one of the big things. And you mentioned language. And mm -hmm. I know for a traditional uh, missionary, they can take 
months, years to learn a language? Two years to get started. Okay. And then after that, you have to go and learn more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably you never stop learning a language unless right. you're really born there and it comes naturally. So it's very difficult. Um, the other thing is that they don't usually uh, need to go home on furlough. Right. And that's what happens with many missionaries is that they need to come back home every four years, two years, whatever the, their agency is, to come back to North America. And those are uh, expensive trips because they're not on the field. They're home raising support, et cetera, and uh, don't begrudge them that one little bit. But the cost that they have to live then in a North American situation, which is much higher standard of living, and the airplane flare to take um, mom, dad, kids back and forth to the field, that's expensive too. Whereas the national just stays at home and works. Right. So that's another one. I like your example that you use of um, Western missions as being a success and the uh, example of the uh, grandfather. You remember how you used I remember, yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> this was told to me by um, a great man in Burma, a great pastor, leader, and um, uh, his name was Mio Chit. And what he told me was this. He says, I think it was 1968, I'd have to check the number, but um, the missionaries were expelled from Burma, Myanmar. And um, he says, all of a sudden, it was thrown in our lap as nationals to take the leadership and roles and everything like that. And he says, we learned that there are three ways that you can operate inside of uh, a culture with outsiders. And the one way is this, you can do the father-son relationship. And that's where the father tells the son what to do. And the son says, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And that, for many, many years, was the model of the Western missionary coming in, um, telling the national what to do, and they just obeyed. Then you had the brother-brother one. But brothers, he says, always fight. <laughs> and they fight and they struggle, etc. And who's, the, who's in control, who's not in control? He says, that doesn't really work all that well. Mm-hmm. He says, then you get to the grandfather-grandchild-son uh, grandson um, illustration, and he says, this has proven to be the best way. And that's where, in a Western analogy... The grandfather is at the baseball field sitting in the bleachers and junior little guys at third base and granddad had bought him a baseball glove, a bat and a ball and they're playing baseball. And the little guy looks up at his grandfather who's cheering on from the, um, from the stands and says, that's my granddad up there. He bought me this baseball glove, he says to the shortstop and big smile on his face and granddad's up in there looking and do the... To the other parent sitting or grandparent sitting beside him, he says, that's my grandson at third base, and uh, I bought him that glove, but that's not the big thing. That's my grandson down there, okay? <laughs> and he's playing the baseball. And so um, this, is, this is the sort of relationship, he says, is very powerful today. The grandfather-grandson relationship. And that is what I find is the, the best way of looking at it right now. So... Um do you think, and this is a broad question, but could anyone have predicted that the National Church would be really um, growing this much overseas to take the mantle, so to speak, to be the grandchild? So successful, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was always the dream and the hope right. of Western missionaries, as I was trained, in that someday in all the fields of activity that the nationals would take over. And I remember hearing that. Until then, we needed to go out and help and to plant seeds and start things off. In many countries, there's not enough missionaries to go around. There's not enough people to preach the gospel. Now, in many, many, many countries, 
Um, there's ample numbers of people preaching the gospel, and they do it better, as we're saying, in their own culture. Does that mean to say that the missionaries are um, uh, not necessary anymore in some parts of the world? Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually, yes. Um, I'm trying to be very kind in saying this. Mm -hmm. In some parts of the world, absolutely we are necessary as Westerners to go in and help because mm -hmm. there is not a strong national church. There isn't really a base to operate right. from. I remember I told people this before. I was in Kosovo one time, and there were I was told there were 240 born-again believers in the entire country of Kosovo following the war. And they said, we've got 12 churches. <laughs> That's 20 per church. And I said, That's it? And they said, yeah. And I said, boy, do we need missionaries here right. to plant the seeds to help it to get going. But when it gets going, right. that's when it's time to go home uh, or redeploy or mm -hmm. take on another role or do something else, but not on the front lines as we were before. I look at it this way. Missionaries were never supposed to be permanent residents. Mm. We were temps. We were temporary help until the church grew to an extent it took over for its own things. Uh, its own destiny, and it took care of its own needs. And I think that is where we're at today in some countries. We're making that transition from being there as permanent residents to the temporary helpers. And do you find that um, the national church is certainly up to the challenge of, of taking over because the success is there? Do you find that um, it's a struggle for people in North America to accept oh, this yes. model. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're talking. <laughs> we're talking control issues here. Right. Okay. Um, we're talking about. We've done that for eighty years, and some yeah. people just cannot let go. They've got um, missions organizations that have been in there for 100, 150 years, maybe even longer, and um, they just can't say goodbye, mm -hmm. and they cannot release to God and to to the Holy Spirit to take control and let them take care of their own country. So, therefore, they're struggling with this. Yeah. Do I understand? Absolutely. Do we have to make an effort to let go and let the children take over, shall we say, in their mm -hmm. own country? Absolutely. I think at that point in time, that's when the transition to the grandfather role um, needs to come into play. And they can have their relationship as the grandfather more defined in yes. as that exactly. supportive yes. cheerleader role. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And there's nothing wrong. People... You know, every once in a while I get criticized or not, well, I, I, I guess they rebuke us right. for helping national churches with tools and assistance in certain ways and sort of like we are making them dependent upon us. Well, for 200 years they've been dependent upon Western missionaries and now we're at a role, we believe, mm -hmm. where the Western missionaries, the workforce is there already, the national church. We're just approaching it this way. We are helping them to get started in ministry in the same way as we would help our children get started in life. Right. And I, I you know, I remember Karis with her first car, an old car, and everything like that getting going, and, and it, she had to go get a new little car, okay? <laughs> and there's a time when you help a child mm -hmm. with some of those things to get going in life. And she didn't have in her first apartment, I don't think he had a couch or anything. <laughs> I think he had a couple of boxes to sit on. Well, it was up to mom and dad to help out, right. just to get her going yeah. with a couch and a chair and this and pots and pans and everything of that nature. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And we're not doing it so that they are dependent and we make it a welfare state. Um, it's not that at all. It's the fact that we love them. Mm -hmm. And there's a time to 
they'll take care of that them all themselves. But at the beginning, for a pastor to get up and running in right. a new area, he needs a kickstart. And the nationals there don't have that much money to help them to get going. So we can step in and do it for a while. But remember, Joy, it's always a defined period of time that we mm-hmm. give assistance. Only up to two years for a pastoral support. And we're not going to buy somebody every tool that's out there um, for ministry. Like, we're not going to say, well, you all need laptop computers, and you all need sound systems, and you all need this, and, and we'll buy them all. No, 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 no. But every once in a while, in a certain situation, they might need a motorcycle mm-hmm. or a bicycle or something like that to help them out to get going. It, there's a great assistance. So I imagine then that with the recent pandemic that Empower Ministries was in a, a really perfect position to just continue on what they had been doing. Oh, and yes. it really wasn't affected too much with no, anything. No, 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 no. Many of the foreign missionaries had to come home or they were locked in their countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't get out. But uh, I heard numbers like 80% of all the Western missionaries had to come home right. um, to be, you know, in their uh, their base, shall we say. And that's understandable. Our operation didn't slow down a bit because we were just transferring and buying and shipping in and everything of that nature. National Church was rolling along perfectly under the uh, pandemic situation and um, didn't affect anything. If anything, it helped because people were desperate to find answers and it gave more opportunity. Okay, well, I think you've effectively answered why Empower Ministries works with the National Church. So thanks, guys. 